115 is where we are today. Psalm 115. Psalm 115 is where we're reading this morning. Got a long ways to go and a short time to get there, so buckle up tight here and we'll see if we can make it by at least one or two o'clock this afternoon. So <laughs> see how that works out for us. Psalm 115, beginning in verse 1. It says these words, it says, Not to us, O Lord, not to us. But to your name give glory for the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. Why should the nation say, where is their God? Our God is in the heavens. He does all that He pleases. Our God is in the heavens. He does all that He pleases. And this is the Word of the Lord this morning. I've said this before. I'll say it again because it bears repeating. The simple truth reality is our beliefs determine our behavior. What we believe ultimately determines how we act and how we live our lives. Again, to illustrate, last Sunday after our Bible study, after service, I began to pack up to head home. There on my desk was a paycheck dated for the 15th of this month. Happens every first and every 15th. Stuck the paycheck in my bag Friday. Made my way down to the bank. Put the paycheck in there. And now sometime today I will go home. Do what I need to do. But sometime during the day I will sit down with my computer and the bills that we have and Make sure that the bills are finished for the rest of the month. And why do I say this? I say this because there are certain things that I believe. I believe that the money that's placed in the church's account through the offerings and the tithes that you so faithfully give, and thank you for doing that, is... Sufficient and adequate. Believe that the funds that Fulton Bank says that the church has is adequate to meet the needs of the check. Believe that when I go to my local bank, PNC there in Penargel, that the check is rightly deposited and that the number that reflects on the check is what will be in the account when it is cleared. And so this is what we have to live on. And so when we sat down to think about a mortgage that we could afford, when we looked at a car, when we sit down and we plan our groceries and what we're going to eat or whatever else, it is all predicated upon this belief about our economic system, the way it works. Now if I did not believe this, my life would be different. I might be up here with a McDonald's shirt on, telling you how much I love it or whatever. Their slogan is nowadays, thinking that I have to clock in at noon because the funds are not adequate. They're not really there. Or I might be driving home to the nicest, wealthiest area in the sleigh belt, thinking that even though I was given X amount of money, that it can help me to pay for this three or four or five million dollar home. Of course, in the back of my mind, I would be seeing that there's an eviction notice from the sheriff of Northampton County. 
I might be driving home in my vehicle or, or that might be my Rolls Royce that's parked out in front of the church. It might be being repossessed while we're here. You see, your belief determines how you live your life. And that is what I assume most of you have done. Maybe it's not tonight. Maybe you do it on Friday or Saturday or whatever. Uh, whenever you take care of your bills, but, but you believe that the funds that you have are adequate to meet your needs. You believe a lot of other things. Going home in a blue Subaru Legacy. Alright, I know you've got that fiery red Camaro out there. I'm not going to, tr well, I might try to get in it if it's nice enough. Might see if I can hotwire it and take it for a joyride. I don't know, so. You better beat me out the door. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> no, I'm going to go home because that's what I believe is, is my car, my title belongs to me. Tomorrow I'm coming here. I'm not going to St. Elizabeth's Catholic Church or United Methodist Church in Wingap because my keys won't work. They work here. And until the board figures out that they can do better than me, then... I'll be here tomorrow. All of this is, is predicated on what we believe. And that's why it's so important that we have right beliefs. That we believe the right things. Especially when it comes to God. Because ultimately, we will order our lives according to those beliefs. That's what we're going to be talking about this month. And of course, one of the things we need to believe rightly about God is His sovereignty. God is absolutely sovereign in all that He does. In all of His actions and all of who He is. Charles Hodge theologian of yesteryear said this, he said, sovereignty is not a property of the divine nature, but it is a prerogative, a privilege, arising out of the perfections of the supreme being. He said, if God be a spirit, and therefore a person infinite, eternal, and immutable in His being and perfections, the Creator and Preserver of the universe, He is of right. It's absolute sovereign. In other words, if God is truly God, we must believe that He is absolutely sovereign over all things. We must believe that. That's what I want to do this morning is explain it. Hopefully convince and persuade you to believe it today. So we begin this morning defining sovereignty. Sovereignty defined. What does it mean that we say God is sovereign? Sovereignty defined is this. And that is God's right and power to do whatever He pleases with anyone at any time. God's divine right and power to do whatever He pleases with everyone at any time. This, of course, comes from the rule of kings, the divine right of kings, they called it. The sovereignty of kings. A king could do whatever he was wanting. He was not bound by the laws of his land. He was king. And this is, of course, what we rebelled against as a nation or whatever you want to say. This no longer is really a prerogative in many nations around the world, although there are a few that are like that. But we see in our relationship and when it comes to God, that God has the divine right and power to do whatever He pleases with everyone at any time. That again goes to our text this morning, Psalm 
115 verse 3, Our God is in the heavens. He does all that He pleases. Think about those words. Our God is in the heavens. He does all. He does whatever He wants. He does it whenever He wants, however He wants. He and He alone has the absolute right, the prerogative, the authority to do whatever, whenever, and however He wants to. He is sovereign over all. A man named James Montgomery Boyce, he's the pastor in Philadelphia, says it this way, He says God has absolute authority and rule over His creation. In order to be sovereign, God must also be all-knowing, all-powerful, and absolutely free. If He were limited in any one of these areas, He would not be entirely sovereign. Yet the sovereignty of God is greater than any one of the attributes which it contains. Others may seem to be more important to us. For instance, God's love. But a little thought will show that the exercise of any of these attributes is made possible only by the sovereignty of God. God might love, for example. But if God were not sovereign, circumstances could thwart His love, making it useless to us. Many times have we looked at someone and said, yeah, I love you. I just don't like you very much. We understand what you're saying, but what about our circumstances? Is there a case where, where God's love would be repudiated? Not if He is sovereign. That's why He can love us unconditionally. It's the same way, way with God's justice. God may desire to establish justice among human beings, but if He were not sovereign, justice be frustrated and injustice could prevail. In other words, God's sovereignty does determine all of His other attributes, all of His other characteristics. The fact that God is free means He can love us unconditionally no matter how bad or how far we stray from His love. The fact that God is sovereign means He will enact justice upon this earth and righteousness will prevail on the world no matter how far humanity may stray from Him. Look at and listen to some of these verses here to show and demonstrate the sovereignty of God. 1 Chronicles 29 says this, Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heavens and the earth is Yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and You are exalted as head above all. All that is in the heavens and in the earth is Yours. Both riches and honor come from You and You rule over all. In Your hand are power and might and in Your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. Again, God has all power. All authority. Psalm 24, verse 1, The earth is the Lord's. And the fullness thereof, the world, and those who dwell therein. The old song says, this is my Father's world. And it is. Psalm 46, verse 10, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Psalm 47, verse 7, For God is the King. Of all the earth, sing praises with a song. Again, do you hear those words? You rule. Yours is the kingdom. All of the heavens, all of the earth is yours. You are God. And you are God alone. You have divine right and authority. I am exalted among the nations. And in all the earth, the divine sovereignty of God is a central theme throughout the Bible. 
God is the one who delegates authority. He establishes kings and kingdoms and He brings to ruin any king or kingdom that fails to submit to His authority. God, Yahweh is the Creator God with a sovereign right to rule over all of His creation. And the question is, do we believe this truth? Do we believe that God is truly God? Do we believe those words when we sing, God, You reign forever and ever? Do we really believe that right now God is on the heavens ruling and reigning over this world? I used to sing that old song that says, I know God is God. God don't ever change. I know God is God and He always will be God. He's God when the lightning flashes. He's God when the thunder rolls. He's God way up in heaven. He's God way down in my soul. He's God on the ocean. He's God on the sea. He's God all over creation. He's God all over me. He's God at the river Jordan. He was God when Adam fell. He's God way up in heaven. He's God that saves from hell. Why? Because I know God is God. And God don't ever change. I know God is God. And God always will be God. So we have for us a definition of sovereignty. What it means that God is sovereign. And secondly, we have demonstrations. Demonstrations of sovereignty that are at work in the Scripture. Sovereignty defined in sovereignty. Demonstrate it. You read throughout the Bible, there's three areas in which sovereignty is emphasized throughout the Scriptures. It's emphasized throughout creation. It's emphasized through the rule of God over human history. It's emphasized through the work of redemption, the way that God alone is providing salvation for all of mankind. These three ways show us how God is sovereignly working in the affairs of the heavens and the earth and the universe. Think with us first of all about God's sovereignty over creation. His sovereignty in all creation. Genesis 1 tells us, as we talked about last week, that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And each day, God created, formed, and fashioned each and everything. We said in a little bit more illustrious fashion when we say, you paint the night. You paint the scar, the stars, and however the song went that we just sang. But, but it's true. God is the one who placed the stars in the sky in their appointed places. God is the one who created the oceans, the dry lands, and everything that is going on. God has been active in the work of creation. God is done it all through His sovereign work and power. We went up several years ago to an observatory there. I'm not sure where it is, but it's off 78. It's where WFMZ, the television station, is. But there's an observatory there. and We went with the Cub Scout group the boys were a part of. We began to look at all the stars and the skies and all the planetary systems and everything else. It's amazing to imagine the God who is forming and fashioning Orion and Pleiades and the Big Dipper and the Little Dipper and all of this stuff. God is the one who tells each and every one how to shine and when to shine and where to sit. God rules and reigns over all creation. I like what happens in Genesis chapter 8 there when Noah comes out of the ark and God tells him, I'm making a promise with you. Summer and winter, springtime and harvest, day and night will always exist as long as the world is in creation, as long as the world is existing. And God has promised it to us. To be honest with you right now, I don't like it too much. It's a little cold. Heating is going constantly. It's the faithfulness and the rule of God who has determined that we would be in wintertime during this time of year. 
Think about what happened when Moses led the people of Israel to the banks of the Red Sea and God ordered the seas to part and there they parted. And what's so amazing about that, when you read about it in Exodus, you realize that the people of Israel walked across the banks of the Red Sea or the the floor of the Red Sea and they walked across, the Bible says, on dry ground. God not only parted the seas, but He dried the seabed so that they could walk without even getting the mud. Consider the fact Joshua did the same thing on the banks of the Jericho River. Or the fact that he prayed and the sun stood still while the battle raged in Joshua chapter 10. Or consider the story of Jesus in Mark chapter 4. Told in Mark 4 verse 35 on that day when evening had come. Jesus said to them, let's go across to the other side. They left the crowd. They took Him in the boat just as He was and other boats were with Him. And a great windstorm arose and the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. He was in the stern asleep on the cushion. They woke Him and they said to Him, Teacher, don't you care that we are perishing? And he awoke and he rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great call. said to them, Why are you afraid? But you have faith. The Bible says they were filled with great fear. They said to one another, Who then is this? And even the wind and the sea obey Him. Who is it that the wind and the sea can stop the hand of God? Or stop? It's only God that can do that. Who is it that can stop the storm from coming? Only God, the One who is sovereign over the winds and the waves. We joke around about how meteorologists are the only ones who can consistently fail at their job. Continue to have one, right? Continue to be promoted. I mean, what a job. I wish I had that kind of job. I guess I don't have the face for it. But yeah, think about it. Who do you think you are that you can say this is going to happen? Only God is the one who can stand up there and say, you know what? I'm going to make it rain. You know what? I'm going to cause the sun to shine. You know what? I'm going to bring the warmth. Only God is the one who can do that. Because He is the one that controls it all. And so we have God being sovereign in creation. Secondly, we have God's sovereignty in human history. Human history. Everything that has happened from Adam and Eve up till January 17, 2021 has been orchestrated and happened under the divine power of Almighty God. God has been in control from day one till right now, this very moment. The Bible teaches and affirms that God rules human history according to His divine plan and purposes, whether it's in the events of our everyday lives or the world-shaping events of kingdoms and authorities. God is ruling over all of them. Consider the life of Samson, if you would, in Judges chapter 14. The Bible tells us Samson went down to Timnah and at Timnah, he saw one of the daughters of the Philistines and he came up and he told his father and mother, I saw one of the daughters of the Philistines at Timnah. Now get her for me as my wife. His father and mother said to him, Is there not a woman among the daughters of your relatives or among all our people that you must go to take a wife from the uncircumcised Philistines? But Samson said to his father, Get her for me, for she is right in my eye. Imagine that. Young man sees a woman that he thinks he loves. Young man full of testosterone, full of what young men are full of during that time of life. Sees this girl. Oh, I have to have her. 
as my wife, go and get her. Go and make the arrangement. Pay the dowry. Do what you have to do. Think, well, that's normal. You graduate school. You get a job. You find a girl. You fall in love. You marry her. Normal circumstances. But look at verse 4. It says, His father and mother did not know this was from the Lord. For he was seeking an opportunity against the Philistines. Why? Because at that time the Philistines ruled over Israel. They didn't understand. They thought it was Samson. They told him, you need to marry a Christian. And that is true, young people. You need to marry someone that's in the faith. Don't be marrying someone that's outside of church and doesn't love God with all of their heart, soul, mind, and strength. But, but they thought that Samson, just marry another Jew, make life easier on us. And they did not realize that God was actually orchestrating the events here. What happened, Samson? There's a chance to avenge the Israelites against the Philistines through this failed relationship. God was working in his life. Even though we thought it was just a young man full of hormones and testosterone and ready to get married. No, God was behind it all. Proverbs 16, verse 9, the heart of man plans his ways, but the Lord establishes His steps. You're out there with your grand plans, your calendar, your design, your scheme, and you don't understand that God is the one that is orchestrating every move that you make in life. Psalm 22, verse 8, kingship belongs to the Lord. He rules over the nation. Romans 13, verse 1, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Ones that rule and reign over this world, over nations, are there because God has put them there. All of these verses prove that God is in control, whether it's in our lives and here and now, our national affairs, even the affairs of this world. As I said, God is working. He is not waking up this morning and thinking, what in the world is going on? No, God has been in control the entire time. And so we see God's sovereignty in creation, His sovereignty over human history. Finally, His sovereignty is control over redemptive history. Redemptive history, God's sovereignty in redemptive history. That is, the work of redemption has been established by God. The fact that we are here today, the blood of Jesus Christ applied to our lives, the fact that we are here knowing Christ as our Savior, knowing that our sins are forgiven, it is all because God was working from eternity past till now to bring about His plan of salvation. Revelation 13 verse 8 says, All who dwell on earth will worship. Everyone whose name has not been written in the foundation or sorry, written before the foundation of the world in the book of life and of the Lamb who was slain. John is writing down that those who worship the Antichrist, the false prophet, the beast, is those whose name has not been laid in the book of life, who has not been written in the book of life, I should say, from the foundation of the world, the Lamb who was slain. Even before time began, God knew and foreordained that in the fullness of time, as we're told in Galatians chapter 4, He would send forth His Son to be born of a woman, to be born under the law, to redeem those who are under the curse of the law. Romans 8.29 says those who He foreknew, He predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son in order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom He predestined, He called. And those He called, He justified. And those He justified, He also 
glorified. It doesn't matter if you were on your deathbed in your hospital room chaplain came by and prayed with you. It doesn't matter if you were in a prison cell and you went to a church service and you heard about Christ. It doesn't matter if you were drunk in your bedroom and you knew your life was miserable and you called out to God. Or it doesn't matter if your mom and dad brought you home from the hospital on Saturday and took you to church on Sunday and you've been there ever since. God worked it out so that you would come to know Him as your Savior. God was working in the circumstances of, oh, oh, I just thought it was because the plant shut down and, and moved to you know, China or Mexico or wherever the plant went. I, I just thought it was because I lost my job and my family left me. No, it was God who was working to bring you to a knowledge of Him. I thought my mom and dad were mean. I mean, every Sunday, three times a week, that's all we did. We cleaned the church. We shoveled the snow. We taught the Sunday school class. Oh, God was working and orchestrating so that you would come to faith in Him. First Timothy 1, He saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of His own purpose and grace which He gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which has now been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the Gospel. God saved us because of His own purpose and grace, which He gave us in Christ long before the world began. Now admittedly, raises questions for us. Sometimes it's not an easy doctrine or thing to accept. How does God allow storms to destroy nature, to destroy lives and homes and property if He is in control of creation? Why is it that even here, a hundred and some miles from the ocean, lives can be devastated by hurricanes Why is it that tornadoes can wipe out entire towns in Kansas and Oklahoma? Why does God allow evil leaders, whether in our own country, leaders such as Hugo Chavez or Nicolas Maduro, Xi Jinping and Vladimir Putin, Stalin and Lenin and Hitler and so on, so forth down the line. Why is it that we have sickness running rampant around the world, claiming lives, leaving many sick and perhaps permanently affected? Why is it that some hear the Gospel like you and I and yet others choose to walk away? Others that I grew up with in our youth group at the church I grew up in walked away from God. Turned away from God. Don't know anything about God. We must understand that the sovereignty of God and free will of man are not contradictory beliefs. Man's will is free and that he makes willing choices that have actual consequences. Yet man's will is not morally neutral. Rather, it is in bondage to sin and without divine grace, men constantly choose to reject God on their own freely. Scripture teaches both divine sovereignty and man's willing activity. Fact is, Pharaoh rose to power under the accordance with his own will also by the hand of God. And we're told in Exodus as the plagues are being poured out, Pharaoh hardens his heart. And yet at the same time, God hardens the heart of Pharaoh. The crucifixion of Christ was the free act of sinful men, of Jews, who said we rather have Barabbas and Caesar as our king. 
Yet, as I read to you in the book of Revelation, it was also the plan of God from the foundation of the world. Man is still accountable to God for his actions. The relationship between these two concepts is mysterious. For sure, but it is not contradictory. We have choice. We have responsibility. And yet God is entirely and fully completely in control. Which leads me to my third and final point, which is this sovereignty. Not only defined and demonstrated, but also sovereignty displayed. Sovereignty displayed in our lives. What do we do in light of the fact that God is absolutely sovereign and He is absolutely in control? Give you three quick points and I'll be done here this morning. First point is this divine sovereignty does not negate human responsibility. God's sovereignty does not negate your responsibility as a human being. That's the point that I'm trying to make. Even though God is absolutely in control, I still have responsibility in my life. Go back to the fact, as I said last Sunday, a paycheck sat on my desk, cashed it on Friday, but also every month the church deposits a sum of money into an IRA so that one day I can go and sit on the beach and drink iced tea. And and I know most of you are saying, please let it be today. Maybe next week. I looked at that the other day, beginning of the year, see where that was, and as you can tell, it's not nearly enough. That's why I'm still here. I looked at that and I thought, man, over 10 years, turned into little decent sum of money. Money that I could have had a new car, had a lot more done on the house. Maybe taking my kids to Disney. I took Cameron and Carter when Carter was six months and Cameron was two years old, and that may be the last time we'll ever take them. I mean, we'll take our grandkids, but not those three. <laughs> Mainly because can't afford it. It's $8 million for a ticket, whatever it is. I have a responsibility, though, even as much as it would be nice to have a new car and a, and a nice home and whatever else, I have a responsibility because one day I will be 65 or 70 if God so chooses. Look at it and I think, wow, 70, that's still 20, 27 years away. And some of you are like, 70 came so fast and I'm well past this. Yeah, I understand. I may not have it. And Mary and the boys might live fat and large off of this re- retirement that is there. They may enjoy it. I have a responsibility. You have a responsibility. Don't get up tomorrow and say, God's going to take care of me. He's in control. No, get up. All right, it's Monday. You can hit snooze, but then get up and go to work. Plan your life. Order your life. Guide your life. Seek for wisdom from God, but take responsibility for your life. And let me tell you something, the biggest responsibility you have is to secure your eternal salvation. If you are here today and you don't know Christ as Savior, Joshua says, choose this, choose you this day whom you will serve. Today is the day to make that choice. Paul said, today is the day of salvation. Today is the accepted time. Right now, God has given you today. Let me get out of my mom and dad's home and go and enjoy a wild life for a few years and I'll come back to Christ. Yes, you might come back to Christ, but yes, you may never make it to that day. 
God has given you July 7th, January 17th. Yeah, I wish it was July. God has given you 11.17 in the morning. Right now, accept Him as your Savior. Ask Him to forgive you of your sins. Know that your salvation is secure through what Christ has done. Divine sovereignty does not negate personal responsibility. Secondly, divine sovereignty gives us a different perspective. Gives us a different perspective on current events, current affairs, things that are going on. Living in a world where you either think on Wednesday that the world is going to end or maybe there's a second chance and life is coming back. Depending on who you voted for. But as believers, we trust in the sovereignty of God that God does indeed set up rulers and kingdoms and God also takes them down. Again, God has given us responsibility. It's why you go out and you vote and you participate. But at the end of the day, we recognize no matter who sits in 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue, no matter who sits, the desk of the Speaker of the House of Representatives, no matter who sits at the desk of the President of the Senate of the United States, God sits on the throne of heaven and He is our divine ruler. We have no king but Jesus. Can I just be honest with you? We have made an idol in our country of our political establishment. We have begun to think that the only way that God will work and move is through the right people being in the White House. Can I just challenge you? Turn off your news and turn on the book of Acts and realize with a despot like Caesar, like Nero, the church of Jesus Christ went throughout all of the world. God did amazing things. It is not about America or your country or anywhere else. It is rather about a king who rules over all the nations. And our job has to be not just pushing an American agenda, but rather the kingdom of God. Look, it's not just politics. The thing with the pandemic is going on. Depending on who you're listening to, it's either the worst thing and we're all going to die in the next week, or it's a hoax and a conspiracy and whatever else. To be honest with you, the truth is probably somewhere in the middle. Okay, again, I'll say it over and over. If you don't feel good, please don't come to church. Stay home until we know. Listen, God is in control. God is in control and I can clothe myself in some kind of a hazmat suit. My car might explode on the way home today. I may never make it. We have to have a different perspective that says no matter what is going on in our world, no matter what is going on in our life, God is ultimately in control. Haggai chapter 2 says these words, the word of the Lord came a second time to Haggai on the 24th day of the month. Speak to Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, saying, I am about to shake the heavens and the earth. I am about to overthrow the throne of kingdoms. I am about to destroy the strength of the kingdoms of the nations and overthrow the chariots and the riders and the horses and the riders will go down everyone by the sword of his brother. Probably the best thing most of us can do is turn off our phone and cable TV and go outside and take a walk. Meditate on Scripture and realize that God is in control no matter what's going on. So divine sovereignty does not neglect 
our responsibility. It gives us a different perspective. Finally, divine sovereignty causes me to trust. Trust completely. Trust completely in our good God. Causes me to trust completely. The only thing I can do is trust Him. The only thing I know how to do is, is trust in Jesus. Because like it or not, you know, it's great if that 12 inches of snow we got a month ago is all that we get. But there ain't no amount of hoping and praying and wishing it's going to stop the hand of God. Live in a part of a country where it might just snow 20 feet or it may not snow at all. God, you're in control. Yes, I'm going to get up tomorrow and begin to prepare for next Sunday's sermon. Begin to do what I need to do. I also must understand that if I do not wake up tomorrow, that God is still in control. I will trust Him. Let me close by reading to you here Psalm 46. It says these words, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore we will not fear though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation. Of the Most High, God is in the midst of her. She will not be moved. God will help her when the morning's dawn. Nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters His voice. The earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come behold the works of the Lord, how He has brought desolations on the earth. He makes war cease. To the end of the earth, He breaks the bow. He shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. And hear these words. Be still. And know that He is God. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Lord of hosts is with us. God of Jacob is our fortress. God is sovereign. He is in control. Be still. He is watching over our lives. Man, let's pray this morning, shall we? Father, we come to You and we acknowledge, we admit that God, in many ways, we don't believe in Your sovereignty. We're panicked about what tomorrow might bring. We're fearful of the days ahead. God, we fail to see that nothing will happen in our lives. That's You. We're not there the entire time. And Lord, pray that You would forgive us. Forgive us for giving in to the ways of this world tries to cast excitement and fear and everything else upon us. Forgive us, O oh God, for not trusting and believing in You. Forgive us, O oh God, for not being still and knowing that You are God. You rule and You reign over all the heavens and the earth. There is nothing that can stop your mighty hand. Help us to give you the rightful place of honor in the lives we ask in Jesus' name.
We challenge you again this morning if you're here and you don't know Christ as Savior, God has given you this day. Accept Him. Know Him today. Challenge you as well if you're here and you've been kind of haphazard about your life and what's going on and everything. Let me challenge you to take responsibility. Again, to organize and plan and see what God would want to do with your life. But finally, let me challenge you with this. To not live in a spirit of fear, afraid. Jesus said, you know, why are you afraid of those who can just kill you and that's all they can do to you? He said, you better fear the one who can kill you and then throw your soul into hell. You ever considered that? I mean, if that's the worst you can do is shoot me, then it's really not that big a deal. Life is in the hands of God. I don't want to think that way. I sure hope nobody comes in and shoots us for simply worshiping God. God's in control. Challenge you again. Use wisdom. Make wise choices and wise decisions. But through it all, challenge you. Commit your life to Him. Make Him God of your life. Don't give in. Fear and everything else. Rely on the goodness of a God who will never us or forsake us. Father, help us to do that. We enthrone you as God. We enthrone you as Lord.